this is Sally Zimney with This Moved Me, and I just had an amazing conversation with Ryan from World of Speakers, and you got to come check it out because on it, in the middle of it, right as I'm talking about how you got to be imperfect up on stage, a whole bunch of imperfect things happened. Come check it out. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Hello, everybody, or shall I say ahoy? It is Ryan Foland, your host, and I am here today with Sally Zimini. She is a presentation coach, she's a podcast host, at This Moves Me. And today, she's going to move me, she's going to move you, and maybe, well, I think that's it. She's going to move me and you and everyone else. So welcome to the show, Sally. How you doing? Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. For sure. So let's get right into it. And instead of just talking about all the accolades and the cool podcasts and the amazing presentation coaching that you do, I'm going to challenge you to give me a story of your life or from your life, from your past, that is a good representation of who you are as a person. Okay. And then we can kind of dig into it. So it could be a, a funny childhood story or, or some discovery or epiphany or inciting incident, because I think people like to connect the dots and stories always have dots to connect. Totally. Okay. Well, there's a few bouncing around in my head right now, but I'm going to throw out the first one that jumped to mind because It's a great little insight into me, but also into a little bit about what I'm guessing we're going to be talking about today. Okay. I'll be the judge of that. I like it. This is good. I'm challenged now. Okay. Go for it. Story time. Okay. Great. So when I was in college, I was a theater major. And as we were graduating, they brought in some of these really big time directors from the Twin Cities. So I live near Minneapolis and St. Paul, and there's a really amazing thriving theater community in the Twin Cities. And and so as part of our graduating, they brought in some of these big time directors and I was really pumped. I was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to wow them. I'm going to really let them know like they are about to meet Sally, this amazing actress. So you were going to move them. Oh, you got it, Ryan. That was, I was going to move them so much. They were going to be like, you awesome. I want you in my next show. So, I've fallen out of my chair. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, I, I had set the expectations really high for myself, which is not, not a bad thing, but perhaps a little naive as a classic for graduating theater major. Let's go. This is totally like, I am amazing. Wait till the world sees me. Yeah. You were literally walking around with a willing suspension of disbelief in about a three foot radius everywhere you are. Oh my gosh. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. So I walk into the room and, you know, it's kind of your typical cattle call with auditions where, you know, they're the judges or the directors at the time were standing behind or sitting behind this table ready to judge you. And you walk in and do your 90 second audition and walk out. Very simple. It's very clear cut. So I walk in, I do my monologue and I'm thinking, I just nailed that. That was awesome. Crushed (laughs) it. And I turn to walk out this the door and and I I turn and I walk out the door that's behind me in the back of the room. And when I get there, I find that the door is locked. That was not the door I was supposed to exit out of. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do? So I turn around kind of sheepishly and I, I look at 
all of these directors, one of them in particular, I was like my hero. And I was like, oh gosh, sorry. <laughs> Let me just make my way back across the room, you know, and I'm just kind of vamping my way back across the room in front of them, doing a little tap dance and just mortified because I had, I had these huge expectations. I thought I was going to totally wow them and impress them and felt like an idiot. You know, it was like that moment on American Idol, you know, where they get done with their audition and then they, they can't find the door and you're watching this going, what is wrong with these people? Like, how do you not know where to exit? It's very simple, but your adrenaline is just going so crazy and it did not click. I, whatever, I made kind of a fool of myself and I walked out of the room and just thought, Oh my gosh, I want to go back and erase that whole thing. Like I just took myself out of the running of this, that I'm, you know, I'm this big time new actress on the scene. And, and uh, of course the, the conversation that I had with the directors after who were processing with us and giving us notes and giving us some feedback was surprising. And what one of the directors said to me was, you know, Sally, you cannot wish that moment away. That was golden because all that other time we are seeing this incredibly polished version of yourself, this perfected, really overly perfect version of Sally, the actress. And in that moment, when you couldn't find the door and were vamping your way across the stage, we got to see a glimpse into who you really are, which is kind of this goofy, funny person, which is very different than the monologue that we just saw. And so don't wish that moment away, Sally, because we aren't going to forget it. It was real and it helped us see you. And so I thought, oh, holy cow. Okay, that was a completely different response than I was expecting. And it has always stuck with me, partly because it was like, yes, own own your goofiness, own kind of the messy stuff that makes you who you are. And also, you know, in terms of like my role as a coach, like that is very central to the experience I want an audience to have. I want an audience to really see who you really are. And so it's really stuck with me. And then you can see, get a sense of me under pressure. I get goofy. As polished as you think you are. <laughs> no, I, that, you just crushed that story, by the way. Okay. So, oh, thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I love getting stories from people instead of just hearing their accolades because I feel like, like we have this connection and bond because I'm able to connect with you on a few different humanistic levels. Mm-hmm. I similarly, but somewhat different, got a theater degree, but also an economics degree. And I went uh-huh. in undeclared. So I went in undeclared and then, you know, defaulted to economics. And I got stressed out about the classes that I was going to take. I'm not good at little decisions, but like big decisions all day. Like I do not want to order my lunch. I want somebody to order that for me because I'll eat anything, right? That's just me. <laughs> so I'll take any class. No big deal. You have these general ed. So I go to this one general class and it was in a theater. I don't think I had like been to a theater. My parents, we weren't theater people and I didn't even know that theater existed. <laughs> but of course I sat next to a cute girl and then there was extra credit. And then I went to this place and then it was this kind of environment where people with clipboards and these judges and I walked in and they gave me a piece of paper and they said, read this. And I read it and then they laughed and then I went home and I cried and I <laughs> thought that I just, I bombed it. Oh no. And apparently the scene was supposed to be funny and I didn't 
see the humor in it. And that's why they laughed. And I thought I did terrible. <laughs> and that's what sparked me getting called back for that part. Yeah. And then I got involved with it and then ended up acting, acting, producing, producing, directing, and just yeah. fell in love with the communication that happens in real life. Yes. yes. And so you could have told me all kinds of stories, but that one I'm like, okay, I knew exactly where the door was <laughs> and I got on my skateboard and I just went home and I shed a tear as a freshman, but yeah. I'll never tell anybody that, of course. Right, right. <laughs> but it's really an interesting insight because you're obviously confident and you can't be a presentation coach or a podcast host without that confidence. You're obviously self-aware, even in retrospect. You're competitive. I'm believing you're very competitive. <laughs> I grew up with three brothers, so there's definitely a streak where you just gotta, you gotta hang in there. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, you don't hang in there. You beat them. (laughs) Elbow your way in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I made up a new word, which I usually do. And it's kind of two words. I'm not sure how they're going to mesh, but it's authentic ignorance. (laughs) Authentic ignorance. Okay. So it's like ignorance is not a bad thing. And I, I really feel people hear it and they're like, well, it's bad. No, ignorance is just not knowing. But at that time, like you were not aware of your own authenticity at that moment. So it's like authenticity plus ignorance, like often, okay, we're gonna have to work on that one. But Oh, what about, what about taking authenticity and naivete? Authenticity. 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 I like that. That's it. Hashtag authenticity and (laughs) spell it how it sounds. Right, exactly. Now, are you on Twitter? Are you on the the, uh, the world of... Okay, so what's your Twitter? Because I'm going to ask people to to share a story on Twitter and hashtag (laughs) authenticity. (laughs) Authenticity is at this moved me. At this move me. Okay, so anybody out there, Twitter challenge, tag at this move me, tag at Ryan Folland, and use hashtag authentic- authenticity. <laughs> authenticity. Okay, well, we'll definitely tweet that out there to get it going and people can reply. But I think we just created a new authentic movement that people didn't even know and it'll right. take over. It's going to move people. I love it. But this whole goofy and funny thing, I, I think this is an interesting element that maybe is not always tapped into, especially in a professional speaking environment where there's this tendency to lean towards seriousness. And I think those people that are a little goofy and have that authenticity uh, really stand out. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Ryan. And it has become a mission of mine to mess up people a little bit more. Just, I just want to muss them up a little bit. Like, no, you've got to bust out of wanting it to be perfect. And it's amazing to me again and again and again, people who come to me are like, I just, I want you to make this perfect. I want you to help me avoid any foibles and bobbles and struggles. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how boring, how incredibly boring for your audience. No, no, we're going to must this up just enough. Not that you're not going to be professional and not that you're not going to be, you know, polished to a certain degree because you want your audience to trust you. But once you get that point, then they want to feel like they know you. And in order for us to do that, we have to be like completely three-dimensional human beings. We have to not be afraid to be a little rougher around the edges and make room for the real, make room for all those random things that happen and not to ignore them or run away from them, but to embrace them as these golden opportunities for us as speakers to really connect with our audiences, which in my mind is is the goal. That's yeah. the ultimate reason. 
No, did I did I mishear you? Did you say muss or mess or was did you say? I, I said both. <laughs> okay, I said a little of both because I've never heard muss before, and I think it's an oh. interesting spin on mess. Yeah, mussing is like taking somebody's hair and just kind of going rah, 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 like mussing up. I didn't know that. I did, I, I have yeah. muss hairdo all the time, but I didn't know it was a word. Okay, I like this. You're <laughs> mussy, Ryan. <laughs> mussy. <laughs> so it makes me think that you helping people to discover their mess and to discover their muss or own their muss helps them find the wrong door. Yeah. Go out the wrong door. Yeah. I might start a podcast. Maybe we can start it called The Wrong Door. And we focus on <laughs> on the, the stories of people that went wrong that actually catapulted them to yes. clarity. Yes. Oh my gosh. And those are the best stories. Am yeah. I right? Like yeah. Nobody wants to hear the story about how everything went smoothly and how awesome you are. No, thank you. It's going to be like the evil twin brother of this move me. It's like, you know, the wrong door. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's great. So I've got three questions based on this crazy methodology that I speak on called the 313 method. And I help people take their muss of communicating what they do and lock it into three sentences, one sentence and three words. So after I get to know you a little bit, which I just have, and we're kindred spirit must souls, Um, the three questions that get our listeners just a real quick high level view of what you do. And then we can move into some of your tips and tricks and then some of your experiences and monetizing and and expanding the message that somebody has. Okay. So the first question is what is the problem that you solve? And you're not allowed to tell me what you do. I mean, secretly we know that you're a presentation coach and a podcast, but the problem that you solve without telling me what you do. And if you start to tell me what you do, I'm going to go burnt. And then it's like a game show and you have to now the big, big, big deal is you have to fit it into one sentence. Okay. I'm going to try. All right. So have at it. What is the problem that you solve? Okay. And if you hear a, then you just know we'll start over. Okay. All right. Ready? Go. (laughs) Boring presentations. Okay. So that was only two words. Like it's not a sentence, but it's not a sentence, but okay. So, so the problem is boring presentations. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't sound like a big problem. Like, what is the result? What is the real pain? Oh, great, great question. Yes, you're right. Dig deeper, Sally. Dig deeper. Yes. Dig deeper in one sentence. Oh, okay. So I'm going to have to talk my way into this just a little bit. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. And then we'll, and then we'll wrap it up. But okay. here's the idea is that don't take this the wrong way, but I believe nobody cares what you do. Totally. I don't think people care what I do. I don't think people care what any speaker is speaking about. They only care about the problem that speaker is solving for them. It's a very selfish world. and There's nothing wrong with that. Like we don't have enough time to pay attention to everything. So we pay attention to the stuff that solves the problems that we have. So if we can clearly identify the problem that you solve and in a way that makes people feel like it's a real bloody problem, there's going to be an inclination for them to want to know how you solve it. And then that's where we move forward. This is excellent, right? And I, I totally love that you're challenging me on this because I help people clarify this for them, but clarifying it for yourself is so much harder. So this is great. I know. You know, have you heard about the cobbler with no shoes? Yes. Have you heard of that? Really? But it's it's very simple. So I, have, I think I have heard this, but yes, tell me. Tell me. Yes, it's basically the cobbler is the person that makes you shoes, but yeah. there's this old fable about the cobbler who's so busy making shoes for everyone else, he he doesn't have shoes. Oh. So it's like we are all cobblers in our own right where we're producing all these things for people, but then it's so hard to make our own shoes because yes. we're so focused on everybody else. Yes. Oh, Speak it, Ryan. All right. That's exactly it. So don't talk about the shoes that you're making. Talk about the sore feet that people have. What is the problem that you're solving? 
The problem that I am solving is that the world needs more humanity. And I think talks are the platform through which we can bring more humanity alive. So the problem is that in this day and age, there's not enough humanity? There's not enough humanity. That's different than the original problem. Totally different. So, okay, well, and we can reverse engineer, but like if someone is more human on stage and they must things up, does that make for a less boring speech? Okay, so I see where you're going a little bit here. So the problem is that speeches put people to sleep and... Our ideas die on the vine. Okay, yes. Our ideas die on the vine when they're presented in a way that makes people go to sleep. Yes. All right, I dig that. That's a good problem. We can spend an entire hour on that, but... I'm cool with that. That was helpful. That was helpful, Ryan. Thank you. Good, good. Well, you'd love the 313. It's powerful. That's what I do. That's the problem that I solve. But we're about you right now. So now tell me what your solution is, but don't tell me how. Just tell me what. Okay. You can't tell me how in in one sentence. So what what do you do? I inspire people to become unspeakers. Ooh. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. So then my next (laughs) question would be, so who is this for? Like, what is your market? And yeah. tell me the market in one sentence. My market are purpose-driven thought leaders who want to change the world with their talks. Okay, cool. So now I'm all interested. I know the problem you solve. I know <laughs> a little bit about what you do. I know who you serve. And that makes me want to know how does this work? Ah. So I think everybody is nice and caught up now within these three sentences. Oh my gosh, I'm sweating over here. That was hard. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, now you, now I get to make you sweat more okay. with giving us some really handy tips and tricks of what you would suggest people do in their talks to solve that problem, right? Like, what are some of the strategies? What are some of the, the things that you work with with your clients to muss them up a little bit, to help them find the wrong door on stage? Are you the type of person that gets somebody to trip on their way up the stage so that they get that initial musty connection with people. Is that you? I know. Oh my gosh. That would be such an unfair thing to do. Like really, really mess with people's minds because ultimately, I mean, I'm kind of joking about that, but the biggest transformation that I make with people is what is happening in their heads Hmm. because a lot of people come to me with some level of speaking experience. You know, I'm always doing some work on the skill, the delivery skill and how they're using the stage and how they use their body. And I spend a lot of time helping people clarify their content and making it really meaty and personal and to use an overused term authentic, but you know, really helping people get clarity on that stuff. But the biggest shift that, and you, we cannot really become unspeakers unless we can change our minds about what speaking is. And that is a big piece of what I do because people come to me, even experienced professional speakers with something in their mind that has to do with my credibility is built on how perfectly I do this. And I really want to take that mindset and kick it out the door because it does not help us connect with our audience. And so one of the biggest things I do at the beginning is a lot of conversation about the things that hold us back from really showing up fully to that moment on stage. What is keeping us? So give me an example of maybe one or two things that uh, someone can do. Like uh, within that conversation, what are some of the key takeaways that a listener would be like, okay, 
I haven't worked with Sally yet, but wow, that one piece mm-hmm. is going to change it. How do you get people to muss it up? And what does that conversation look like? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a personal conversation. Okay. I mean, th- this is not something that, you know, I can offer you a bunch of questions. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Hey, this is a perfect example. Actually, um, yeah, you know what? Going out the wrong door. Right, this is. So this is where your authenticity will shine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, this oh is kind God. of funny. to it's hear. really funny. If people were listening. They're like, wait a minute. This is the stuff they should have cut out. But I'm going to be like, no, right. this, is, no. this is on point. The door has been shut and you're trying to leave. You're trying to leave the house right now. <laughs> It's it's time to get let me out of the house. It's time to get goofy. It's time time to get goofy and just channel it. So this is an acting exercise. We're just going to roll with it. And whenever you hear or feel the, if you want to incorporate it, that's fine. You want to make an excuse about it, that's fine. But let's just let's let's make the show go. This is as on point and as authenticity as it gets. Well, we don't have control over our external forces most of the time. And I'm assuming that's one of these things that you're talking about with people because an audience is totally. an external component, right? Somebody coughs, somebody sneezes. Absolutely. Somebody brings a power drill and decides to do some maintenance work during your talk. <laughs> oh my God. No, but really, let's get back to it. And uh, let's skip to tactics of what you coach people on when things go wrong on stage. Yes. Okay. So the biggest thing that you can do when it happens, and I alluded to this earlier, is to not run away. Like plant your feet and stay there. Stay in the moment. Because what we want to do... <laughs> you want to run. <laughs> oh my God. Be like, let, let me out. Of the, can, can we do this another time? Can we find another way to do this? I'm just speaking like what is in my heart right now. Sure, sure. I would love to do. So stay put, plant your feet, and then the, find the lightness in it. So once you've just accepted that this is happening, then your job is to find the lightness in it. Because as an audience member, if you suddenly feel awkward about what is happening, that just absolutely can turn your audience against you because not like screw you or mad at you, but they start feeling really bad for you and going, Oh my God, like this is terrible because they're empathizing. Right. And so they're starting to feel your pain for you. And if you can really, you know, acknowledge the awkwardness or the embarrassment or anything like that, then, then they go, I have been there. And it opens up this warmth and connection to the audience that you honestly might not have had without it. And so as I'm sitting here and somebody's working in my basement (laughs) 30 minutes earlier than they're supposed to be, I just have to own it and I can't run away from it and hope that the audience can stick with me on this. Right. But you tried and actually your true personality came out at that moment when we thought that you were going to be offline. (laughs) So rolling with the punches, that's one of your main strengths is, is you take somebody who maybe is super polished and you unpolish them or you must them up. Yes. And just help them see that the strength of their connection to the audience comes from their humanity. It comes from that messiness. And that sometimes in our effort to be our most credible and to be our most polished, we actually build a wall between us and our audience. So here's a question from stories that are told on stage. Yeah. Do you also encourage people to find stories that went wrong? And is, is your presentation coaching helping people to find 
vulnerable moments, knowing that not all the time somebody's going to have the wrong door on stage or do construction when they shouldn't. Are you prepping them? Do you encourage people to dig deep and expose some of these more humanistic versus all of the accolades? And this is why I'm so special. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a speaker who stands up and just tells me how right they got it and how much they know. Actually, I end up feeling like, wow, like I'm clearly, I have nothing in common with this person. Like they have it all figured out good for them, but that doesn't help me at all because I don't feel connected to you. And so when we can share the stories about how we learned what we know, the journey that got us there and the stumbles on the way, then those are the moments where I feel like maybe I can do that too. Maybe I can make that same journey because if you just show me everything that you gained from that, then I don't know how you got there. And I don't believe that I myself can get there too. And you know what the best way is to securely drill something in? You put a guide hole first, right? Yeah. So the guy who's working downstairs is probably drilling a little hole (laughs) and then putting in a bigger screw behind it. And so what you're doing is you're, you're helping people find what is the little hole? What is the thing that happened first that allowed you as this bigger screw to come in there and actually gain that traction? Yeah. Because if you just come in with that big screw, you're going to split the split the wood apart and it's not going to be as sturdy or lined up. God, you're a metaphor guy, aren't you, Ryan? I am. I can tell. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a big one. Sorry. My stomach's growling now. (laughs) Well, I also have an appetite to continue to to get some of these insights here, right? Okay. So let me share something with you really quickly because I just recently was helping somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, this is good. Can you stick with me? Is this unbearable? I'm here. I don't feel bad for you at all. Like I'm going to, of all the podcasts, I'm going to remember this one probably the most. (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. So um, I was helping somebody recently develop their TEDx talk. Okay. And it, it was the second TEDx talk that they were doing. And he came to me because he wasn't very happy with his first one. He just felt like he didn't quite connect the way he wanted to. And he, he sort of knew in his core that he wasn't bringing enough of himself in that moment. And the big fear that he was getting over was this fear of that he was making it all about him and that he was this person like you know he's like i know everything you guys know nothing and he didn't like how that felt like that's that was not in line with who he is he didn't feel like he was serving the audience as much as was building himself right totally and there's a fine balance too because when it's your story it's hard to to not focus on that right totally i like there's a really important balance there that if your story does not serve the audience then it really ultimately is about you and people aren't they don't care they don't care Ultimately, right? So they don't care what you do. They only care no. about the problem that you solve. Right. And they want to know how they're going to benefit from it because they want to see themselves in us as even if we're completely different people. Our job as speakers is to pull out the universal piece in there that we can all connect with. And so I really had to work with him about the fear that was holding him back from just really sharing something about himself. He was like, well, you know, it's not about me. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about these people that he interviews. And I was like, yes, but I don't care about these people until I feel like I know who you are and how you are bringing your insight and your expertise and 
We are meaning makers as speakers. We get to create the meaning from the story and hold it out to the audience and ask them to come in and take part in it and to dig into them themselves. To actually measure things out and then, you know, measure twice, cut once, instead of it just being somebody who's like, say, in your basement, just like, just, just aimlessly drilling in things. And, and <laughs> drill, like, after you think about it, the analogy of a drill yeah. and drilling things in your audience is an exact sort of replica of what he was fearing, which is right. you don't want to drill your message into somebody. You want them to feel like they're part of the project. They're, they're part of the framing. They're part of this house that you're building. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to feel like I feel right now, which is I wish they would have told me <laughs> they were coming 30 minutes earlier because I wouldn't have scheduled this right now. But here they are. No, this is so serendipitously beautiful. Like this is great. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad you feel that way. So how did how did you get him to take the drill out of his hand and give it to the audience? Well, we did some storytelling exercises together where when we first sat down, I said, you know, kind of dug into him, sort of like how you did with me with the 313. Like, well, no, what's behind that? And what's behind that? Yeah. And what's the story there? And so as we got, and you know, you're telling a story that needs to be told when you are afraid and you're not sure if this is the one you should tell. Yeah. That's the one you should tell. <laughs> because if you're like, oh, this will be a great one. This makes me look really good. Or I've told this a million times. I can tell this one. Like, no, we are, the audience wants to have a sense that you are risking a little bit, right? Because that, again, the edges of those stories are the places where all the humanity exists. And so that's where an audience is going to see themselves or recognize the challenge or recognize the hurdle that you've overcome and recognize, you know, all of the, the juicy stuff that makes us so messy as human beings. Like those are the connection points. And so helping him identify what that story was. And honestly, it didn't take long because he came to me knowing that he needed to go somewhere he hadn't gone before. And that he had to push himself. It makes me think of, and I'm just making this up, but it, it makes me think yeah. of a mother-in-law test. Like if you have, say, a, a girlfriend or somebody like that or a boyfriend and you're meeting their parents for the first time, mm -hmm. there's a lot of heightened pressure and you know that you're trying to communicate who you are as a person. Yeah. And it's like the stuff that maybe you don't want to tell them, mm -hmm. like uh, the mother-in-law test. Like I'm not sure if I really want to let them know about this at this point. <laughs> it almost makes me feel like that's when you know you're onto something. Right. And, and and that's what actually builds that relationship. Right. And of course, there are probably some things that your mother-in-law does not need to know <laughs> in the first exactly. meeting, right? Because right. you're building trust. But there is a moment. There is a moment in a talk and there's a moment in any relationship. And that's what it is between speaker and audience. It's this relationship where you have to really show up right? And you've got to bring the wall down that exists between the audience and the speaker. And they want to be able to recognize. And we as human beings, it's like we recognize, we get it, we see it. Just like when you ask somebody, what did you appreciate about the presentation? So many times it's, it was authentic. Hmm. Okay. Well, what made it authentic? What was that? And it's very hard for people to describe, but they can pinpoint it. And essentially it's, I feel like I know that person. It's that human element that you're, that the problem yeah. is when somebody says, what was great about this presentation? They're like, I just don't know. I didn't like it. That's the problem is that people don't feel that humanistic connection. No. Yeah. It's like, uh, you didn't make me care, right? There's nothing in it that emotively connected with me. And, and people can take this idea of authenticity too far. 
And we've all seen that before too. Like, okay, I just need to be really transparent. I just need to share it all. And that's not it either, because there is a point at which an audience goes too much, too much. Like (laughs) we're not there yet with us. Not you are totally misreading our relationship right now. Right. You know, I'd be like you showing up to the potential mother-in-law and, and sharing, you know, how you're still hungover from the night before or something. I don't know. No, no, that's a good example. It's- I don't know you, Ryan. I really don't know you. <laughs> okay, no, this is, I, I dig this. So how does this idea of, I'm going to say more of the humanistic tone and stay yeah. away from the authenticity because I think that is buzz. Although yeah. authenticity is definitely <laughs> fresh. Right. Tapping into your authenticity, I think is, is where it's at. How important is that for monetizing your message and for taking your speaking to the next level, because I can hear some people in their head listening to this thinking, yeah, well, I understand that. And yes, I want to make a connection. But at a certain point, if I'm going to get paid to speak, I've got to be that professional. I've got to, to get a yep. 10 to $40,000 keynote. I can't be yep. telling them these secrets or, or whatnot. So right, right, right. tell me the bridge, How because I can see from a lower level or a middle speaker of, you know, free engagements and just getting yep. your exposure. Like yep. that's a really great tool to get comfortable in connection. But how do you help people make that transition? I know it doesn't go, the humanistic part doesn't go away. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's a challenging step to understand. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a misnomer to believe that at some point you become polished and professional. Because I think being our human selves doesn't make you less professional or less polished. That is a mindset that is getting in the way of us really delivering talks that will move the world and will change your audience. Uh, Like it won't happen without it, without us being showing up as fully ourselves. It doesn't mean that you don't give a crap about what you're doing. You just show up and and wing it. It is the exact opposite of that. It's you've prepared enough that you can show up and let go a little bit. You can show up and be open to what the moment holds. And here's the connection that I see between authenticity and your speaking (laughs) business. And that is that we have to know ourselves really, really well. You have got to really understand and and have a really clarified idea of who you are and what you have to offer the world. Because in those moments, in those authenticity moments, it is an incredibly vulnerable, real thing. Like like what's running through my head is the clothes came off, right? It's like it's kind of a naked moment where you're like, oh. Somebody shuts the door and your dress gets caught and and then they just drive off and you're all of a sudden. Right? (laughs) Right? And so knowing yourself, that that is the people who know themselves well in those moments, they're making bank. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I like this. You're debunking the, the myth. Like you don't have to be totally. in a suit to make a, a, a ten dollars to $40,000 keynote. You have to have a no. message that resonates that's going to transform people in 45 minutes yes. enough so that it creates bottom line change for a company that's got a budget of that to pay you. Yes. Now, part of this, you do have to play the game a little bit, right? Because there's just in some way getting the entrance in unless you've got this you know, reputation that completely precedes you. For most of us, we have to know how the game is played and play that enough. Like you've got to have all of the checks or the box boxes checked, right, in order to get in the door. So tell me w- without because there's a lot of boxes to check, but yeah, there's a lot of boxes. What are maybe the three? If you were going to make sure that you check three boxes to play the game, what are those three top boxes to check? Uh, 
that you have a very clear, clarified message. I like how you use clear and clarified in the same. That's <laughs> that's clear, clear, clarified, that's clear, clarified. Very, very clear. <laughs> very, very clear. Double clear. Double clear. Oh, just called double, double clear. Hashtag double clear. Okay, good. <laughs> oh my God, this is great. I'm really showing up as myself right now, Ryan. That's good. And we and we are together in a construction unit building this thing one screw at a time. So it's, <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you could just improvise with... I, do you do this with all your speakers where something happens and you riff on it metaphorically the whole time? This is very much me. I'm, I'm in the moment when I'm on the radio. I, you know, I have a live radio show as well and, and I deal with people in the moment and I'm definitely, I get excited about being on my toes, not like a ballerina style, but just like martial arts style, like always enough weight, 30% here, 33% here. So I can move frontwards backwards. And I just tend to think in analogies because it helps to say a lot more in a smaller amount of time. And then whoever has experienced martial arts, they'll take it for their own meaning and run with it. And so I feel like yeah. less becomes more. Yeah. I mean, metaphors are so incredibly powerful and they have emotive meat built into it, which I think is great. Anyway, emotive meat. This is full of great vocabulary, yeah. emotive meat. <laughs> also, I'm going to bring it back because I do, since we're talking about cool vocab here, yeah. you talked about vamping before yeah. vamping your way across. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> the mus was was interesting as well, and then I think you even said like uh, phobos. Foibles? Yeah. What the, the heck word? is that? A yeah. foible? A foible yeah. is like a, a silly mistake. Oh, you're full of these. This is great. Like saying clear and clarified together, double clear. That's a foible. You know. Now I know. This is great. Right. So some people will be like, "Oh my god, I totally screwed that up. I'm an idiot. I said clear and clarified." Well, that did run through my... You owned it. You owned it. You came up with a new term. Double clear. You got to be double clear. Okay. So back to the check boxes. We get double checks in all the boxes. It's to be... <laughs> one is to be double crystal very clear on your clarity. Yes. Okay. And then the other piece is... And I'm going to say knowing your audience, which I know is sort of the basic, uh, basic box to check. Yep. But I think we need to be doing a little bit more on that front as speakers, especially if you have the goal of being a professional speaker or move in that direction, that in order to really make space for the audience that is in the room, you need to make some time and effort and space to know a little bit about the people who you're talking to. And this is a challenge that I have for especially professional speakers who literally show up hop on stage and walk back out again. I think we need to be doing more for the audience and with the audience in order for this to be an exchange that does move them and that does serve them in a way that makes sense. Gotcha. So not only, you know, knowing your audience, but actually like knowing your audience, just take, it's, <laughs> right, it's, it's the same word with a different tonal inflection. So yeah. we get some subtext yeah. in there, right? If we give seven actors, the word, knowing and encourage them to really get the deep passion meaning within that one word, right. you got to really know. <laughs> and I'm honest. afraid that the way people might interpret that, Ryan, uh, is some sort of innuendo and that's not what I'm going okay. for. <laughs> I can see how the tonality would do that. So yeah. you've got to do more research than you think you need to know so that when you get yeah. on stage, you feel like you're, you're with your family and friends where you know yeah. more about them than strangers. Right. 
And this is not a new idea, but I'm going to reiterate it because I'm always surprised again and again at how many speakers don't do this. But I talk about breaking down the wall between you and your audience and what that means, that fourth wall, you know, it's a theater term. I know that. Yes. Amazing. Right. I'm sure you do. Yeah. So our goal as speakers is to break down that fourth wall. Well, quite literally too many of us spend time before the talk has started or we don't ever go into the audience, right? And if you're in the same room with them, not if you're being introduced on stage, obviously that doesn't work. But if you are in the room with them as they're coming into the room and instead of standing up at the table, you've got to go down and be with the people, talk to them, connect with them. How's their day going? Who are you? What are you all about? Well, where were you right before this? You know, just so you can get a little bit of a feel and they start to see you as a human being and not this far off person, this far off expert, right? We think there's power in being the far off expert. And what I really want to do is flip that on its head and say, the power is coming closer. The power is getting in with the people and being with them, with the people. Power with the people. I like it. Power with the people. All right. So what's the, what's the third and final checkbox? Or not final, but third place. <laughs> There's a lot more than three checkboxes. Right. There's a ton more, right? In terms of the materials that you provide to people, and I am not an expert on this. I, gotta, I just need to be really clear about this. My expertise is in the content development and the delivery of people's talks. That is absolutely why I'm put on this earth and coaching people towards a more authentic experience as a speaker and as an audience. But but I've helped people in this process in the business world and watched them as they've developed their speaking business. So what I tell you is the people who have really excellent uh, traction or success or that they actually get paid and they continue to get booked, those, those kind of people. Right. Those people are bringing their materials to the world. So they're one pager and they're real and they're videos and they're doing it in a way that has a lot more personality. And so they're not afraid to break the mold and break some of those rules about what it means to be a speaker. So they're standing out in a way. And I I think essentially what I'm saying is these are all checkboxes that we can check, but also do it in our own way. And I just want to encourage everybody to do that because there's so much more creativity and possibility. And I think people want to know that you understand the expectations of the speaking world, but you don't feel constrained by them. So forget the blue or black ink, get some scissors, get some tape, get some, uh, what get some smelly markers, smelly markers, get some pipe cleaners, get some zip ties. (laughs) I'm the kind of guy who you give me a checkbox. And now that we're thinking about it like this, I'll poke a hole through it with my pen. I'll take a zip tie and tie it around there. That's my check in the box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, I might add a zip tie to my one pager. Right. Maybe with some duct tape too. Yes. Duct tape it. And they'd be like, what's up with this? I'm like, you never know when you need a zip tie or duct tape. And that's pretty much what I am. I'm the duct tape that you need to solve the problem that your company has. Because then people understand, okay, he, he knows he needs a one-pager, but wow, I feel like I'm getting a sense of who he is just based yes. on this one-pager. Whether or not I'm walking through the right or wrong door, I love it. We're going to keep moving forward. That's the goal. <laughs> hey, so quick, as we're closing this down, yeah. I want to give you a chance to, to pitch your podcast and maybe we can move some of our listeners over there as well. Tell us real quick about the problem that's being solved by this this move me. What, what is yeah. the... What is the basis behind it? This Moved Me is a podcast that 
is about the art of public speaking. So I have conversations with speakers, much like you do, Ryan, about the art of their development and delivery of their talk. So we talk about all kinds of different things. It's It has been such an incredibly fulfilling, surprising thing that I've done. And I don't know if you feel this way, Ryan, but I love these conversations. Oh, you can't tell that I hate this. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, this is, I enjoy every minute of this. Yes. No, it's fun. So amazing. And I've had the chance to talk with some really incredible people from all over the world and love that. And then I also offer my own tips and tricks and insights about how to develop and deliver more moving presentations as well. So that's over on this moved me. And I just am launching some online courses in the next few months. I'm so excited building a new platform called movers. You where we'll be doing some mini courses that people can check out online about really clarifying and developing powerful, authentic audience centered content that will move their audiences. Mic drop. Yeah. Boom. All right. So you got courses, you got podcasts, you got information, and hopefully whoever built whatever downstairs, it ended up being awesome. I'm glad we did not disturb them. And I'm glad that it was a an actual representation of a shut door. And it really, I think, got your goofy side out, which is the first thing we started with. And in order to resonate with an audience, you've got to tap into your goofiness and your authenticity. Oh my gosh. This is, I, I feel like, I don't know. You've brought out, you've brought out some good stuff, Ryan. I'm really excited. <laughs> hey, well, we built it together. Whether we, we used our words as drills and our listeners as wood, but I don't know if that, no, I'm just <laughs> Hey, well, everybody check out Sally and uh, check out the, this move me podcast. And this is fun. And if you want to share this podcast with somebody saying, Hey, literally, they had somebody doing construction underneath and they tied it into it. We'd be happy for you to share it because who knows, this might be the best podcast ever because we just rolled with the drills or punches. There we go. This is so fun, Ryan. Thank you. Totally fun. All right, Sally, we'll we'll connect and hopefully maybe we'll uh, share the stage sometime or something like that, but uh, we'll figure it out. All right, everybody, Sally and her last name is Zimini and we'll talk to you later. Anybody and everybody, if you want to find more of these amazing podcasts, Check out worldofspeakers.com. We've got more for you with or without interruptions. It really is up to the moment. All right. Don't forget to leave your human up on stage, break that fourth wall, and always look for the wrong door. I love it. (laughs) Bye, Sally. This has been great. Thanks, Ryan. Adios. Adios. Adios.